A boy's best friend is his mother. Janet! Dr. Scott! Janet! Man! Rocker! Oh, you're so cool, Brewster! I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, huh? It was an asylum! And it was hell! 20 years of pure hell! Movies don't create psychos! Movies make psychos more creative! They're all gonna laugh at you! Hey, shouldn't you be folding towels somewhere, sniffing jock straps? Better give me those shoes, then mine give them back to me! How many times do I have to tell you Ursula Andres belongs with the transvestites, not the perverts? Oh, you heterosexuals. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. You're a bullshit artist! They're coming, they're coming! But you are, Blanche, you are in that chair! All this time, we could have been friends. <laughs> We've just about made it up with Jonathan Larkin after his foray away from us. First thing in the new year. Get over it. <laughs> we're all over you. Um, so yes, we're the Screaming Queens. I'm Martin Fennerty. I'm Stephen Moore. I'm Jonathan Butler. And I'm John Larkin. So today, we're back with Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Um, a tour de force return to form from two major Hollywood queens, um, Bette Davis and, or I should say Betty Davis, because she never liked to be called Bette. She might be nice after that. And Joan <laughs> Crawford, Miss Joan Crawford of Pepsi Cola fame. <laughs> um, to go straight on with the film, I guess, Ooh. Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is a tale of two sisters. Blanche Hudson, who's played by Joan Crawford, and Baby Jane Hudson, who's played by Betty Davis. And it, the film begins in, I think, 1917, or certainly like the early 20th century, and Baby Jane is a music hall vaudeville star. It's a little child with blonde ringlets and lacy dresses, dancing round the stage, accompanied by her dad on the piano singing a beautiful, beautiful song, I've written a letter to Daddy. And sat at the sta- side of the stage is a young Blanche Hudson who, with a very, very, very severe <laughs> fringe and <laughs> haircut and plaits, looking incredibly jealous and depressed. Um, well, her sister gets all the attention. And they come off stage and it turns out that baby Jane Hudson is a horrible, horrible, spoiled brat. And poor Blanche is downtrodden and bullied and repressed by the whole of the rest of the family. 
she uh, there's baby Jane dolls there's all sorts of merchandise and they um, baby Jane has a tantrum around wanting to get ice cream in front of the audience and people are all tutting and um, her dad asks Blanche whether she wants to and she just shrugs her shoulders because she doesn't really know what the right answer is and he tears a strip off her and she runs off and mum tries to console her saying well you know, one day one day it'll all be better you'll never forget this moment you'll never forget what she's done for us and where, where you've got to and she storms off saying no I'll never forget I'll never forget this at all. Doesn't she say, I hope you, I hope you treat her better than she's treated you? Oh, yes. I hope you treat her yeah. better. Yes. I hope you remember to treat her better, better than she's yeah. treated yeah. you. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. That's brilliant, that. It is. And there's the line um, where Baby Jane says to her dad, I make them money so I can have what I want. <laughs> it's quite true. Quite yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> she was that bratty. <laughs> Compared to you. Yeah, well, I just felt like it was one little strap and everyone was talking like she was the most evil killed in the world I was like she was just a kid who wanted an ice cream leave her alone that's every millennial now and then we fast forward to the 1930s yeah. and Blanche and Jane are both Hollywood film stars but one has a more successful career than the other and Blanche has come into her own and blossomed and has got a wonderful career but is sort of bankrolling with her influence Jane's career in Hollywood, who's making films which aren't so good. And they use clips from their, their actual and, films. Yeah, they use clips from their actual films. Whatever that Betty Davis one is, I want to say. I did know what it was and I've forgotten. I think it's a film from her. She had a film contract earlier in her career yeah. with Universal and then got dropped and then, later, then not long after got her ultimate career in Warner Brothers. And I think it's one of the Universal yeah. studio films. Yeah. So it's one of the films she didn't really like anyway. Sure, he was happy to see it then. I think there was something really great about both of those actresses. Actually, that they were up for their real old yeah. films mm-hmm. being used in being used in that way. That's they weren't nice afraid touch. of that, of, you know, that look back at their career and they're being exploited in that way. Um, and so one fateful night, they both returned home and they're amazing Bentley open top car and Jane gets out to open the gates to their home their Hollywood villa and a foot presses down on a pedal and there's a huge crash and crying and you don't really know what happens until we get to the 1960s where the two sisters still living together Blanche is in a wheelchair being looked after by Jane, who's still dressed <laughs> <laughs> in flouncy tea dresses with golden ringlets, but has aged quite considerably. And that's where we begin the story of whatever happened to baby Jane. Hollywood Gothic at its best. It is Hollywood Gothic at its best. And very, very 1960s. I think it very much takes a template from Sunset Boulevard, doesn't it? And Psycho. And Psycho, for sure. In the way it looks and the feel. It's almost like a bit like Psycho in that it's a Hollywood film, but actually you you can tell it's made quite cheaply Mm. and it actually feels like it could have been been a television film Mm. then. It wasn't the attention, but I think probably the studio power was competing at the hardest to compete with television at the time. So they were probably making them like to look like a television programme because they felt like that would be more popular. And they never they never got that much money to make the film because 
Joan and Betty were seen as weren't seen as bankroll yeah. people anymore because their careers were on the, the dip. Yeah. Did they go for percentage points on the yeah. profit as well as the fee? Yeah. They had different. They both had different. They both had different <coughs> percentage points, didn't they? Yes. So Betty Davis had lost at had a huge career from the 1930s to the mid-40s and then had had a career slump once she sort of hit 40 and then had a brief resurgence with All About Eve in 1950 and then had almost an immediate downturn in her career again. <laughs> um, and barely made any films in the 1950s, really up until whatever happened to Baby Jane. And Joan Crawford had a strange career in that when she hit 40, she for a number of years had been turned box office poison. She'd almost had, Jane Crawford almost had three film careers. She had a silent film career where she was a huge star, then went into a downturn, yeah. and then had another career in in talkies in the 1930s, then became box office poison, and then strangely hit 40, though she did say that she was younger, but she was actually 40, <laughs> and had... A huge career just at the same time as Bette Davis's film career went on its yeah. its its long trajectory down <laughs> until the nineteen sixties. Um, so yeah, in the nineteen by the by the mid fifties, both of them were really at similar points in their career. So the very famous feuds, which obviously we'll talk about more, but the irony was at this point the two women really sort of needed each other. Yeah. So that's why they came together, and it was perfect. It's just perfect because. The, the film is about what it's about. It's like the feud of two washed-up actresses, basically, mm. isn't it? Um, dependent on each other and hating each other because of it. Um, it's I love it. I love this film. It's one of those films you can watch again and again, and it will forever be quoted and imitated by drag queens. Mm. You know, for the to the end of time. I think because it's so, so many references that I've seen in clubs and films and stuff like that. Suddenly, it all made sense to me. Right, yeah, <laughs> I, I imagine so. Yeah. Yeah. I think the two characters almost ref- are almost mirror images of the of the opposite actress where they are in their lives. So you, Blanche Hudson is sort of well respected and everybody, you everybody has a huge affection for her. Everybody's rewatching her films and that almost reflects the reality of Bette Davis's film career. Really, at that point, that people have that affection for her films yeah. and were rewatching them. Whereas Baby Jane is this sort of caricature under this person who's just completely corrupted by her idea of fame and the lust for fame that's almost really where Joan Crawford was and descended to yeah. in real life actually <laughs> she was, was like because she, she was, was never there, about the acting really. <laughs> she, was, she always was always about the lust for fame and, and, yeah. and was about being a star rather than really about anything to do with art or acting yeah. or achieving anything and those two characters that they play it's almost like they're playing each other's version of, of what they've always thought of each other so, yeah. so like um, Betty Davis would have always thought Joan Crawford was just a slapper with too much makeup on. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Joan Crawford would have always thought Betty Davis was all about the, you know, I've got to be serious and dowdy yeah. and big o- eyes. Overly and sentimental. Always, overly sentimental and soft, everything's mm. really soft and all this sort of stuff. So it's like they're playing, it's like they've researched the roles by watching each other for the last yeah. 30 years and hating each other. And the mm. fact that finally they get to play that bitch on screen. But it works now as a horror movie. Oh, it's straight up horror. Yeah. For me, didn't they basically kick off a whole genre of films like this? Old Biddy Horror, yeah, Granny Green, yeah, it was, yeah, Granny Green, Old Biddy Horror, yeah, sure, because yeah. it was like the because then it's the next hush hush sweet Charlotte was 
sort of not exactly a sequel, but it was meant it was going to be called Whatever Happened to, to um, Sweet Charlotte, and it was going to have Joan Crawford and Betty Davis starring, but um, it was just too difficult the relationship between them yeah. by that point for it to actually happen. There was footage as well, wasn't there? They, they, I think so. She, yeah, she filmed for weeks. Joan Crawford filmed it, but because Betty Davis stipulated that she had to be executive producer on the film or co-producer. The, the rumour is that after Joan left the project, Betty had all of her scenes burned. So nobody could see them. <laughs> there was Whatever Happened to Antalis, and there was a couple of other films. And each of them, actually, none of them are actually any linked to each other. Yeah. They're just a genre, really. But each of them have got poor and poorer quality. Mm. But have interesting film actresses oh, in yeah. them, though. Straight Jacket with Joan Crawford is really interesting to watch. That's a really trashy film. But um, there's one that I've never seen, and the title is the most perfect title. It's Whoever Slew Auntie Rue. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't remember who's in that. I don't know if it's Shelley Winters or someone like that, but I'm, I'm dying to see that one just because of the title. Maybe RuPaul and Michelle Visage could remake who, who, <laughs> Whoever Slew Auntie Rue. There's <laughs> <laughs> a TV movie. Perfect, yeah. If you do take up that idea, um, remember to cut me in on the end. Yeah. The creative royalties. Jane, do you remember when I first came back after the accident? You promised you wouldn't ever talk about that again. I know I did. But I'm still in this chair. After all those years, I'm still in this chair. Doesn't that give you some kind of responsibility? Jane, I'm just trying to explain to you how things really are. You wouldn't be able to do these awful things to me if I weren't still in this chair. But you are, Blanche. You are in that chair. And tell me, what are these awful things I'm supposed to be doing to you? I've not seen it before, but it's another one of those films that suffers from like the Citizen Kane effect where so much pop culture references it, even though you've not seen the film, you know all the you know all the bits don't you? It's like The Simpsons and every, everything mm. just copies it and yeah. references it. So even though I've not seen it before, I kinda knew what was coming anyway. Yeah. But it's brilliant. The performances and the story and just everything about it was amazing. Yeah. I think this is why I'd never watched it. Was the fact that it's just got that much hype and pop culture about it and like it deserves that as a gay man, you should have seen this film. And because I knew I should have seen it by now, I kind of refuse to watch it. I get like that though, when people keep telling you, you should watch this film. I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah, I don't watch that's it. why I deliberately never avoided it. Yeah. Like, they, and why Steven? Because it was just oh, gold. Yeah, it's great. Absolute gold. From being intended, I haven't sat down and enjoyed the film this much in a long time. Yeah. But one where it literally finished, and I was like, can I watch it again now? Yeah. Like, yeah. right now. Yeah, I just loved every moment. I get that with Showgirls. Can <laughs> <laughs> you watch it on New Year? So I watched it twice. Watched it on New Year's Eve, and then a week later, because Ben's mate was over from Sweden, um, she hadn't seen it, and Ben spent a half an hour talking about it, and I said, "Should we just put it on?" <laughs> and we did, and I was not bored for the whole two hours and ten minutes. No. Sorry. So, getting back to Jane and Blanche <laughs> and the nineteen sixties. Their film careers are well over and Blanche is going through a bit of a 
resurgence of attention because her films are suddenly made it onto television and everybody's watching them and she's getting lots of fan mail. Um, But they're in financial trouble and Jane is struggling and is an alcoholic. Um, But they both rely on Blanche's income because she's had the most successful career. But it looks like Blanche is going to have to sell up and sell the house, but she hasn't told Jane yet. And it appears that Jane doesn't know. Or does she? Mm. Um, what we have is Blanche needing to really downsize and because she's in a wheelchair and is an invalid to get care somewhere else. And Jane resisting that change and resisting that, not wanting to be sidelined and cut off from that world and cut off from her income and her support, yeah, essentially. She still lives in Hollywood, isn't she? Still is, yeah, she still lives in Hollywood and without Blanche, without that money... Without the mansion. Without the mansion, there is nothing. Her life completely disappears. And so it's about Jane's fight to keep hold of her life and her concept of herself and her Her concept of reality. Daddy bought this house. You bought it for me. You don't think I remember that, do you? You're wrong, Jane. You've just forgotten. I bought this house for the two of us, and I signed my first contract. You don't think I remember anything, do you? There are a whole lot of things I remember, and you never paid for this house. Baby Jane Hudson made the money that paid for this house. That's who. You don't know what you're saying. Blanche, you aren't ever going to sell this house, and you aren't ever going to leave it. She doesn't want her bubbles to be burst, no. does she? And she'll do anything. She, she'll yeah. stoop to any means. She'll stoop to any means. Yeah. Including impersonating her sister on the phone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just, just amazing. Yeah. I don't want to be like that much of an alcoholic that I have to impersonate. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the way they establish her as an alcoholic in like the most classic alcoholic way when she's walking around the house with the glass and you can hear the ice clinking. You can always hear it. Yeah. You, there's... Only people only have ice with alcohol, apparently. But you just know as soon as you hear that clang, clang, clang of ice, it's like, oh, she's a blanket. <laughs> and it's the flip-flop si- slippers and the way she just, like, she slouches. She's, slumber, yeah. she's yeah. just so slovenly. She doesn't pick up her feet. And but she's, uh, she's striding around the house in the way that only somebody who is a drunk yeah. can, really. Yeah, you get the impression <laughs> she probably stinks a bit yeah. as well, she's, I yeah. think. Covered with like musky meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah she just puts more on. Mm-hmm. Just doesn't wash anything off. What the makeup looks like, it just looks like a cake. It's just yeah. on. It doesn't, don't take any of it off, just keep putting more and more I on. I can yeah. stare at her hair face for hours. Like, I just thought it was fascinating. Yeah. Every, like, little outdrawn line that was like a little mistake just looked perfect. Well, don't you think it's sad that we can't have that anymore? Didn't she's she? not allowed to do that anymore. Didn't she, do it, it, she did her makeup, didn't she? Apparently, I, I was reading she did her own makeup for that. Um, no, she well, I mean, from what I've read, um, she didn't do her own makeup for the whole of the film. But the last scene on the oh. beach, she she thought because it's her last shot of the film, she went off and did her own <laughs> makeup. So the continuity was full, <clears throat> so they had to go and film it again. So the last bit and the, there's a few close-up scenes. On, yeah, on you the can beach. see it's a, it's, it's a set, isn't it? You had to go and film it on a set that cost like sixty grand more. Because she wanted to do it. She went off and did her own makeup so she'd look better on. Oh, uh, for the I'm, I'm sure I read film. that she kind of designed it herself. She designed it so that this is what she'd do. 
I think there's different accounts there. It's yeah. believe, isn't it? I mean, the see, I thought it was I thought it was Joan Crawford who'd done her own makeup and it ruined the final scene because she tried to make herself look. No, she did that throughout the film. So Joan Crawford was doing was touching herself up throughout. <laughs> But by the end of it, she was fine. She was lying. On, she was lying there, pouring with all the makeup pouring off her because she was sweating in the sun. Whereas Betty was went off and did it. But Joan, um, the thinner the character got, the bigger her boobs get. Joan starts to pad her yes. more and more. So Betty said there's a scene where she carries her and drops her on the beach, and she said when she lands on top of her, she says it was like falling on two footballs. Yeah, because her tits don't go to the side like casual <laughs> tits. They're just they're just reinforced with. Steel and concrete to stay upright. Yeah, yeah. My breasts are still pairs, yeah, you bastards. There's a story in the Betty and Joan book, the makeup artist talks about her design for, for Jane's makeup was she based it on, I think it was a lot of the old silent movie stars, mm. the amount of makeup that they would put on. Mm. And, she's, and she tells a story that a lot of these women would have so much makeup on and then they forget to take it off and they just keep adding to it throughout the day. Maybe that's what I've... Maybe that's the thing about it. And they go like the shop or they go for lunch in a local restaurant or something and leave this makeup on and people would be horrified. Like a clown or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So that's what, that's what, that was the design yeah. of the makeup for Jane, apparently. Um, but I didn't realise, um, so it was BD, Betty's daughter, who plays, plays the neighbour's yeah. daughter. Yeah. Terrible, terrible, terrible actress. And terrible, terrible woman. <laughs> With a giant forehead. <laughs> yes. A very big forehead. A forehead. Uh, yeah, and didn't she go on to write a tell-all book as well? She did. She copied mm. Christina Crawford and wrote a tell-all book. But unlike <laughs> Christina Crawford, where there was mixed opinions about whether that was true or not, some people thought it was right, and people came out and spoke on her behalf and said, yes, she was speaking the truth. When BD released her book almost universally, Everybody said that it was lies. Nobody yeah. came out on her defence and said, yes, this is true. This is what she's written is right. This is what it was like for her. Everybody universally came out in defence of Betty Davis, which I think says a lot. Mm. And I think she was just riding on the back of Christina Crawford, yeah. trying to make trying to make a bit of money. And she killed him. And she essentially killed her mother mm. um, because her mother was seriously ill. And, you know, her mother had had, um, had, had strokes and... Had been gonna have a huge starring role in a in a soap opera called Hotel, yeah, and then had stroke and couldn't go along with it. But then it just affected her health even more. Then when she then that book came out because it destroyed mm. Betty Davis. So BD's still around naturally as a born again Christian and <sighs> evangelical, oh, of course. As if she wasn't bad enough. I was just wondering who all those people were at the back door. It wasn't anything. Just that nosy Mrs. Bates going on about your picture last night. Oh, really? Did she like it? Oh, really? Did she like it? She liked it. I remember when it first came out, it had a tremendous reception. The critics described it as brilliant. Do you remember what year you made that picture? But of course, you must too, 1934, right after I did Moonglow. I made a picture that year too. Oh yes, it was that comedy directed by Lloyd, wasn't it? No, it wasn't, it was a love story. The Longest Night. Martin McDonald said it was the best thing I ever did. They never even released it in the United States. 
Feldman was very upset. He told me the company had a very bad year and they couldn't have... No, they didn't. They had a great year. They didn't want to show my film. They were too busy giving a big build-up to that crap you were turning out. Hitchcock was approached to direct this, wasn't he? And he was working on something else. He was doing like promotion for Psycho, uh, so he couldn't he couldn't do it. And he was starting something else. I think I can't remember what came out in '62, but it was he was doing a promotion for Psycho and said, "Oh, I can't do it." Yeah, it must have been the beds. It must have been yeah. the mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been then. Yeah, he said he couldn't do it because it wasn't he rushed it out? Didn't need to get it. It was like it was like two months. It was like Phil. The, so only took them a month to film and then a month post production because they wanted to get it out for the Oscar season. Yeah. So they started filming in like September and it was yeah, ready. Yeah. 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 I mean, it is amazing. It's an amazing feat that they actually got the damn thing made, I think. Um, what would the equivalent be now? What would it be now? Who would they, who would they get for it? Well, there's no stars. Like, no, 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 no. no. Maybe you really has that way, I mean, I guess. If you had, I don't know. Maybe I suppose can. you could have British film, you could have maybe have British actresses. Doing it, Judy Dench, Maggie Smith. Yeah. Well, British actresses did it. Yeah. What were we talking about that before? In nineteen. Oh yes, the Red Graves, didn't they? The Red Graves. <laughs> Lennon Vanessa did the remake. Yeah. TV movie. Have you seen it? Watched it yesterday. Oh, really? <laughs> Please tell us what it's like. Oh God, it's awful. Mm. But you know what? It's interesting though because I don't begrudge them doing it because it's I I always think it's like the It remake. Mm. I just think if something is originally based on a novel, then if someone else wants to go and interpret that novel themselves, then fine. It doesn't feel like a straight-up remake yeah. to me. Yeah. It's like it's someone else taking it on. Um, this version of it felt a little bit like that. Um, they did update it to the 90s. And it, did, it does have an extra queer element, the, the remake, because instead of her... Um, is it a piano teacher that she's got in the original? Yeah, Edwin. Edwin. Yeah. Instead of him... Like the, yeah, the um, accompanist. Yeah. Well, Jane goes to the... Basically, it's updated, so uh, Blanche's films aren't being shown on afternoon television. They're being released on video. Because <laughs> the oh, 90s. Um, so that's that's what triggers it all. So then Jane goes to the, the local VHS store, and it's the guy she meets there who runs the place, who's like this... I think he's, he's a queen. It's not really explicit, but he's like the, like an obsessed queen who knows all about her and stuff, but he's also on the, he's on the make a little bit. So he starts to woo her and says, I'll be your manager. And I booked you into a, um, a talent show. It's going to restart your career. But it's actually a drag show. It's a drag club. And he... The, 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 the act is, what she doesn't realise, is, is it's, um, it's Blanche and Jane, but he's playing Blanche. He's dragged up as Blanche. <laughs> and she's Jane. And she's horrified by this. So he's in drag. And then after, and she storms off stage, and he, he rushes back to the house dressed as Jane, uh, dressed as Blanche, to try and steal money that's hidden in the house. And when Jane comes back, she thinks it's Blanche, even though he looks nothing like her. <laughs> she thinks it's Blanche who's escaped from her constraints in bed and stabs him to death. <laughs> <laughs> it's a straight oh Honestly, honestly, so it has got queer stripes, the remake. And it's not it's not as awful as you might think. It is awful, but it's really enjoyable. And it's on YouTube, hoping it's on YouTube. Oh wow. So give it a look. But so back to this, yeah, the I love the um the scene where she impersonates on the phone. Yeah. And then afterwards when um Blanche is trying and to she's ordering the alcohol. Six yeah. six scotch and two gin. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but Betty couldn't do the voice, so they got Joan Crawford. Oh, it's a joke. Really? Yeah. Yeah, she's so, not really impersonating yeah, every time she every time she impersonates the sister. It's actually Jim. Really <laughs> oh, I thought it was a really good impression. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hello, this is Johnson's. 
I want to order some liquors. Jane Hudson. What do you mean you can't fill any more orders for me? My sister did. Well. Well, wait a minute. I'll, I'll put her on. Blanche, would you speak to this man from Johnson's? Hello. Who is this, please? Oh, yes, Mr. Carson. Yes, this is Blanche Hudson. What seems to be the trouble? <laughs> I'm afraid there's been some misunderstanding. I certainly didn't mean to suggest that you shouldn't fill any orders for her. <laughs> After all, we, we do pay our bills, don't we? Yes, fine. Would you please? I'll put her on. Okay, then. Good. Yeah, I'd like to order six bottles of scotch and three bottles of gin. Yeah, the same brands. And as soon as possible. Oh, that's lost a bit of magic. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Actually, it kind of makes it better. They did a similar thing in Dynasty with John Collins and Kate O'Mara. Only <laughs> 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 John Collins did in person with Kate O'Mara. Um, but the, the scene where Blanche is trying to get help, she's trying to call the doctor to get help for Jane, and Jane yeah. can catch that, I just find that so gripping. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's so scary. It's There's moments of genuine terror in yeah. this film. Like, there's creepy moments and sad moments and everything but there's like moments where I was genuinely scared like there's, there's a scene where um, the neighbours come around to check if she the headlights on yeah. in the car and then she comes into the garage and you just see her like in the background the light shines mm-hmm. on her face and she's all like just staring back at you and I genuinely like shit yeah. myself yeah. <laughs> and I was like oh my god yeah <laughs> and the, it's well played the stuff with the meals is really Effective as well, I think. Where she just playing, yeah, she's takes, playing mind games. She takes the bird downstairs, doesn't she? And then, yeah, oh, your bird flew your away. Your bird's got out. Your bird flew away. Dinner that evening is the birds with some tomatoes or something. Yeah, salad. <laughs> <laughs> That's so evil, though. Like, and then she's too scared to have her next yeah, meal. Yeah, and it's fine. And it's fine. And then when she finds does get another meal, it's a rat. There's rats in the cellar. So, you know, the story about that is that that wasn't scripted originally and it was it was Betty's idea and Joan didn't know it was coming <laughs> so the horror that she has when she takes the salmon off the dinner is real because she wasn't expecting it <laughs> you could tell it was going to be evil at that point and that's you know I knew that's what they were going for she was just straight up evil and I thought that was a really sexy I didn't realise quite how far this film was going to take the evil oh Elvira with the hammer like it was just it just kept getting worse and worse yeah well I think when she finds it's wrong when she goes out and she finds the uh, where she's been copying her, she's been learning her signature and learning yeah. her handwriting and stuff, and it's like, you know where this is going now. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. But that's the ethic precursor because she went, you know, you can't do anything without me. You can't, you don't have access to any money. And she went, yes, I've been thinking about this, <laughs> and it's like, 
okay, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There are just so many moments, aren't there? And there is that, there is just that key. Like, so she wouldn't do these awful things to me if I wasn't in this chair. Yeah. And Jane says the immortal line, but you are in that chair. You are. And what are these awful things I'm supposed to have done? <laughs> really scary. That, that's like mm. that gaslighting thing, isn't it? Where you're trying to convince the other person that they're mental, but it's actually you doing it to them. Yeah. And that's, that, and that's really that's really awful. Like, yeah. mean, she's the one who's suffering, mm. and it, she, Jane's making out with a tear who's suffering. Yeah. And, it's completely gaslighting. Yeah, it's yeah, really, yeah. it's incredible. I like to see where she goes into, she goes into the, uh, the newspaper. And she, she walks in like as if everyone knows who she is. That's amazing. I love that. It's just, yeah. And she, and she's like, utterly convinced yeah. that she's like, she's, she's like, this movie star entering into the, the old the bank, world. The local bank. And she thinks she looks gorgeous mm. and sexy as well, doesn't she? Because she says, the guy, she gives him the advert and says, oh, we want this one, someone to come in and do this. And it's like, and who's placing the advert? And she's like, me? As if, as if yeah. he's just supposed to know yeah. who she is. Mm. And then he um, says, I want Baby Jane. And then as she's walking out, the two guys talk to her, who the hell is Baby Jane? Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, um, there's a good story about that one as well. When they, were, when they did the costume, uh, when they did the costumes for that scene, they were saying that they want to, they were saying, you know, she has to look very much like Jane's version of what's sexy and attractive and alluring is. So let's make her look as cheap as possible. <laughs> and Betty was like, yeah, great idea. Why don't you get me some of those shoes that John Crawford used to wear in the force? The ones with the ankle straps. Yes. <laughs> so they're, they're actually, that was actually like a dick. Even that was a dick of John Crawford. Yeah. And then did you hear the one about the wig? The blonde wig was actually a wig that John oh, Crawford she, she used wore. She used one of her own films. Really? And but Betty never knew. So wow. she didn't realise that she was wearing one of John Crawford's cast-offs for the whole, the whole film. That's so bitchy. Did they really... Did the creators of this film like know how much they were doing this? Is it all planned out and clever, or is it just kind of well, apparently happenstance that it's worked so well? I think if it was it's now, a of if it was now with all this kind of fake, fake reality TV, you'd say it was staged. But mm. back then, I don't. But... I don't think it was planned. Yeah, I, I think it was a happy coincidence that those two actresses ended up in that. So it wasn't. Well, no, well, I mean, I don't know. It's all. I, I'm getting everything from this one book, mm. which you know is obviously not gospel. But the story that I read, which I really liked, is that Joan Crawford went to him, went to Robert Aldridge because she'd made a film called Autumn Leaves with him, and she went to him and said, "You know, make me do me make me another vehicle, write me another vehicle." And he was like, "You know, I can't. I haven't got any projects that I think you fit with." And she said, well, I really want to work with Betty Davis. And he was like, not in a million years, not going to happen. But then he read the book, the Baby Jane book, which you got me one year for my birthday. Mm. And he read the book and was like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe this could work. So he showed it to, Be- to Joan. And then at the time, Betty was in a play on Broadway and she got a knock on her dressing room door. This is the story. And she opened the door and Joan Crawford was stood there with the book and, oh. and gave it to her and said, we need to do this film together. <laughs> and Betty was like, as if. And then um, Robert Aldridge got in touch with the script and said, this is the best script you're ever going to read. Read, you know, and sent it to her and she replied saying, it's okay, I guess. <laughs> the, script, <laughs> the script's okay. Which character do you want me to play? And he said, well, obviously Jane. And she says, I was just checking. <laughs> I was just making sure, okay, then I'll do it. And then it, then, then it went from there. They had like different sorts of stipulations of, 
you know, wanting to embellish their parts. From there on in, it was a game of one-upmanship between the two of them. And it, so the, the tiniest, pettiest things were <laughs> the stories is that, um, which sort of sets the benchmark for what was to come. They went to do a photo shoot where they were both signing the contract to be in the film, because even that was a big deal. And the, both of them were manipulating the shot. So Betty wanted to be on the right. So it reads by the blind yeah. <laughs> Joe wants to be on the right. So whichever way they'd stand, the other one would just stand a little bit more to the right. So the final picture, I think the final picture was Joan and Betty, because she knew it would say Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. So from there on in, it was like... I said the picture they took would determine where they put the names. Yeah, because so, they flip it yeah. the way around. You stand yeah. on the right, so that when it reads, they flip it, it's left. Yeah. It's in Party yeah. Monster, but like... Ah, uh, there you go. Every single Hollywood star's career has been based on where they are on the That's building. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah, like yeah. it's almost as important as learning the lines of the film, getting yeah. the part. It is. It's always in the Where will I be? Will you... It's like also survival, is yeah. whether you're above the title of the film or below mm-hmm. it or yeah. above other people. Yeah, yeah, like when you look at DVD covers, especially in like Blu-ray covers, like the people's names at the top, sometimes they're like the characters who are barely in it mm-hmm. and the main stars' names aren't on the top mm-hmm. because they're the one who's got the contractual power to say that, well, yeah. I'm going to be in it. Yeah. You're going to put me in yeah. it. I can't remember how it, how it appears in the film. Do you both... Whose names first, or do you both the same? They side by side. So the dressing rooms had to be the exact same distance from the set, so yeah. one actress couldn't enough to walk further than the other. <laughs> Joan would bring it on to her as like a secretary and all this sort of stuff. Whereas Betty just came by herself, but stood there like judging her as if say she needs all that crap, and I've just got me and my talent and <laughs> wonderful. But then apparently for the first couple of weeks filming, the both of them were, really, were like. Their way of being getting one up on each other was to be the mo- they'd be the most perfect good girl. So they were, they were both like you know, mm. there's no fuse, everything's fine, everything's fine. But then within like a couple of weeks, the director was getting phone calls when he got home. So like he get say he got home at nine, Joan would ring at half nine and say, "Can you believe what she did today?" And then at half ten, Betty would phone, "Can you believe what she did?" <laughs> so he'd be up all night with these two different people on the phone. So, um, I suppose them wanting to outdo each other probably added to why the performances in it are so good. Yeah, I think across the board the performances are brilliant. Yeah, they are both great. Yeah, even um, the guy Edwin, I can't remember the actor's name. Victor Brown. He's brilliant in that. That yeah. scene where he turns up for like his his audition, and he's he's like trying to play three emotions at once, but it's mm. so it's so yeah. good. He's he's like he's trying to be confident because he's supposed to be he's just actual musician, but he's hiding his, but no, he's he's hiding his um. Inexperienced, yeah. So he's he's given both things at once, and it's so good, it's so brilliant. I and he's a lazy, and he's a lazy fuck as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't really want anything. No. I love, I love. There's a when he arrives, there's just one. I mean, I'm just a huge Bessie Davis fan. When she, there's just one moment where she just opens the door, and you just see the disappointment in her face because <laughs> yeah. you think you know that she's been thinking this can be young handsome mm. man musician, yeah. musician mm. and there's big fat yeah. sweaty mm. yeah. Victor Bro you know in his cheap suit stand on her doorstep yeah with his pants up to her yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's just because she has the better character but she's definitely better Betty yeah I don't, I don't know if it's just the power of she's got the more interesting of the two characters I think there's both I think she was both always the, she was always the more talented actress but she's got more to do 
That the entire scene of the replies of uh, written a letter to Daddy is I've never felt such a mix of emotions watching something. <laughs> like I was genuinely terrified. I thought it was hilarious and I just felt really sorry for it. Yeah. Like really, really I thought it was so pressing and sad. Was that Hollywood tragedy, isn't it? It's like she just she still thought she was that star. Yeah. Mm. Joan Crawford by the nineteen forties, her her film career after that point was pretty much she played victims. That's what she played. She played glamorous victims. And that's basically what she was playing in. Yeah. Whatever happened to Baby Jane was another one of those victims and they weren't very um they weren't necessarily very well rounded characters that she was playing, but that was partly because of she was a wonderful star, but as an actress, she wasn't actually that great. Mm. Yeah. The son of the Letters to Daddy performance, another story is that Joan went off to do... They, they had to do, like, loads of press together, but Joan managed to get one by herself. Mm. Betty was fuming. I mean, she went and did this, this interview, and then they, on the day it was on TV, they, cut, they called all of the crew around to watch, to watch, so everyone sort of sat there quiet watching it. So Betty came in and put Letters to Daddy on on the record player mm-hmm. recorder and started dancing around, singing singing at the top of her lungs so nobody would watch the telly. <laughs> um, God, there's also there's a wonderful story where somebody says to um, Betty Davis about Joan Crawford, she says, but she, um, she cried real tears. And she says, yes, of course she cries real tears. Her eyes are too near to her bladder. <laughs> <laughs> this is Joan Crawford, the one where that, that famous line comes from. You want tears? Which eye? Yeah, thanks so much. You'll never get film stars like that anymore. Never. Can you really be that petty? It's amazing. Like, yeah. that's, that's inspirational pettiness. Yeah. Well, once the film finished, once the film wrapped as well, so Joan went to like a viewing of it like a screen and I'll watch like the rough cuts and stuff and then called Betty and was like you know and you know they were both horrified by what they saw basically because they both looked so old and so haggard um and um the, oh, sorry this is as they were making the film so they saw the dailies and mm. um Joan was like you know I'm devastated she said I look so ugly and Betty said well for fuck's sake if you're that bothered about it let's swap you play my role <laughs> and Joan was like I can't play that role she's twice as ugly <laughs> <laughs> And then afterwards, when they went, to, when they screened the film, Betty never went, and Joan went, and um, Joan called up and was like, "Betty, you really must see it. You know, we've done a great job." So Betty saw it and then didn't get back in touch. So Joan like got in touch with her and said, "Well, what did you think?" And she said, "You were right. I was brilliant in it. Yes, <laughs> I did a very good job. I did a very good job." <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then after, and then after that, so they, they took the film on tour, which I'd love to have seen. They ran on mm. tour of cinemas. And Betty would get up and perform. So she'd perform as Baby Jane for the cinema audiences. <laughs> Joan never went because she was just terrified. She just thought, Betty's going to make mincemeat of me the whole time. And then the Oscar race came. <laughs> and the film got five nominations. <laughs> Did they both get? Yeah. So Betty got nominated for Best Actress and Joan never. So Joan then went to all of the other actresses who were nominated and lobbied against Betty. and was like, She lobbied against Betty to the... Academy was like you know yeah, trying to not to vote, and then went to all the other actors at each one, and said if you're not available on the night, I'll collect the award for you, and then as it turns out the woman who won it, who was it? Is it Anne Bancroft? Anne Bancroft. I can't remember what for the graduate. No, yeah, the graduate was much later. Was it, 
I can't remember. It's, it's a miracle worker, would it be? Mm. Um, she she won it. Didn't she won it. Wasn't she from somewhere? She was on stage in like New York, whatever. Yeah. So so John was like, oh, I'll, I'll. so basically when the awards was announced and Betty, no, Betsy was waiting in the wings for it. And it was like, the award goes to Anne Bancroft, so Joan just pushed her away and walked out there <laughs> and accepted the award. She did, she actually yeah, accepted it. Yeah. That is the best thing I've ever heard about. It was the miracle worker. Oh, okay. Um, it did work in Miracle, John Crawford stood there with an Oscar. Wow, that's that's like such a good story. I know, it's amazing. That's so pump. <laughs> yeah. But she got to... I love how she, the planning of that and everything, the veteran, that yeah. is... Yeah. Okay, I believe all the stories because that is like. Well, you know what? Up. All of the stories should be taken with a pinch of salt. However, I choose to just believe them because they're <laughs> wonderful, wonderful <laughs> stories. I think if you do that at the Oscars, that's like a public sharing of pettiness. It's sh- yeah, ultimately. Like, sharing. there is like, there's no denying that, so therefore I can believe the rest of yeah. it. What's your, what is well, your no, opinion of Joan Crawford? You, you really. Is this a gag question? Or, I mean, you want me to say something vile about her? No, let me tell you something very interesting. There were never two more opposed actresses working together in the world. Uh, just total, totally different people and systems. But I will say this for Miss Crawford. She is a professional. She is always on time. She knows her lines. And we made Jane, you know, in three weeks, Joan and I. Three weeks. Because that is all the money anybody would give for us. Because whenever Mr. Aldrich went to anybody for backing for this, they say, those two old broads never. <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely true. And finally, he got enough money. And we met, we, one week rehearsal and three weeks shooting, we did Jane. And it wasn't easy. But I had, I had great respect for her as a professional. That she is. And I wish I were half as beautiful. That I will say for her. <laughs> Now, if you want to meet me privately sometime. <laughs> I think those stories, those stories about what happened after filming, I can yeah. well believe, because I think they probably just, they, they were just too big, a, they were too big forces of nature. And they could, there was never, ever going to be enough room for the yeah. two of them. But some of the stories, the stories, some of the stories about some of the physical stuff that was going on and the rivalry, there actually, there'd been a rivalry between them all their acting careers. Mm. I don't, I think it's overdone. I think a lot of the rivalry was all, I think was it, was, all, I it, it was all there at the time in everyone else's heads. Yeah, I think so. there was. A, I think the, you know, there would have been, there would have been some envy, but I don't think they were necessarily focused on each other because there was all sorts of other actresses mm. for them to focus on. Yeah, they could have both hated Catherine Hepburn yeah. equally much. Um, Marilyn, towards but the they are an interesting contrast mm. to make with each other because Betty Davis was pretty when she was younger, but she wasn't a glamorous. Yeah. She wasn't glamorous in the same way. She wasn't conventionally pretty. Um, she was described by the film industry as a little brown wren and really yeah. disparagingly. But she had acting chops and was really, you know, even though it was like the actor style at the time, she did have acting chops and she had guts in terms of the parts she lobbied for. She took on Hollywood to get the right to choose her own parts mm. and lost, but actually sort of won further down the line. Whereas Joan Crawford was completely and utterly a machine of the studio system 
didn't book the system one iota and was completely a beauty queen and a star and that's all she was interested in she wanted film parts she wanted to be a star she wasn't interested in acting yeah she was constantly smiling and grateful mm. for everything that she got, yeah. wasn't she? And was yeah. like, oh, yes, I'll do that. That's mm. wonderful. And whereas Betty would always be like, well, fuck that. What's the contracts? What do I get? You know, she Betty was more businesslike about it yeah. all. And, and you can see why they would be in them. They would, they would each have, be envious of each other that Betty wasn't recognised actually as being an attractive woman in some way. Mm. And... Joan Crawford wasn't necessarily taken seriously for her acting. Yeah. You understand why you always want more. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's all, also talking queer things as well. There's the other rumour, isn't there, that Joan was bisexual and really wanted to shag Miss Davis. She just wanted to give her a good scissoring. That's another rumour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. And Betty was interviewed about that, wasn't she? And he said, is it true that Joan came on to you and Beth was like, of course it's not true, I'd never let her get close enough. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, whether you want to believe that one or not. But the stories that Martin's talking about, um, I choose to believe them for the hilarity of them, but I agree with Martin that they probably didn't have them because Betty was too much of a professional for one. But I love the, I love the story that, in the, there's a scene in the film where Betty boots Joan in the face. <laughs> Which is clearly a dummy, but afterwards she keeps kicking her, and apparently the story is in the film. In the film of that scene, her foot did connect with Joan's head, accidentally or otherwise. Um, and I do quite, I do quite like that story. I mean, it's like you not. said, like you said the other day, you, you don't want the truth to get in the way of a good story. Yeah. And actually, yeah. you don't want the truth to get away. They are great stories, and yeah. they are. It is good to believe that yeah. drama as much as the as much as they're enjoying the story of the films in some mm. ways. That yeah. scene was quite shocking yeah, and vicious. The violence like, in it is, you don't was, expect Especially, it. I, I know it's stupid to do, but like, if someone's in a wheelchair, you just don't boot them in the head. No. <laughs> like, no. if it was and just a person that was getting booted in the head, I'd probably be like, wow. If that's someone who's in a wheelchair getting booted and then dragged across the floor, it was vicious. Yeah. It's not something I'm used to seeing. But as... Jane says, every time I think about something nice, you remind me of the bad things. I only want to think about nice things. And that's a sad so line, isn't it? it is. That's such a sad line. Mm-hmm. That's the little girl. Desperate for help because yeah. she's killed Elvira and the police are coming. And... Yeah, and she wants her sister to help her. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, once Elvira is killed and the change in her character and she just kind of completely loses her. Mm. Yeah. Like, you feel like she had some grasp on reality of what was going on? Yeah. But then suddenly she's like, and pulling like, up to her sister and stuff on the bed, and like, yeah. oh, you've got to make it better. And That's because she's mm. completely losing control. Isn't she's she? gone at that point. Yeah. I did like that Elvira kind of got a swear word dropped in there somehow. She's there uh, when she goes to, she says, "Oh, you're not needed today." And she says, "Okay, I'll see you next Tuesday then." Mm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I never noticed that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I liked Elvira as a character. She was just great. Yeah. Yeah. At the at the time, Joan was she was sort of in the throes of being Pepsi person, wasn't yeah. she? Yeah. She married Pepsi the guy who runs Pepsi. Didn't she manage to sneak a Pepsi bottle in there somewhere? Apparently, I remember reading 
the the little beach bar at the end there's a Pepsi bottle that she, oh, she brought yeah. along and put left Placed it on it. left it on the wall. Yeah. Well everyone drank Coke but she replaced it, all the Coke bottles with Pepsi bottles and she was told off for it and apparently she was drunk at the time. She used to have vodka every day. <laughs> and um she said, Oh no, I bring these for because the Pepsi because it's good for you, look and she did like exercises in front of them where you roll Pepsi under the balls of your feet. And she says <laughs> and she said it relaxes the twitties and keeps your ankles thin. <laughs> and like Joe and uh, Betty apparently was watching at the time and just said, Well if you hang around here long enough you'll pick up lots of useless shit. <laughs> <laughs> She Did she really done. speak like this? Because there's like lines, like in the dialogue where she goes, I didn't bring you breakfast because you didn't eat your dindins. I'll go with the face. And it's like, it's this famously comic line that I was like, people didn't speak like that, but then I actually could imagine speaking like that. <laughs> I think she, I think the character did. And yeah. I think, well, definitely in that moment, because it was, it was about, it was just, it was just, so a, it was just, <laughs> it was just about, um, Taunting their sister, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The childlike and patronising. Yeah. It's amazing. But, you know, all of the sort of backstage drama aside, just as a film, it's so... It's it's like... It's embedded in queer pop culture, mm. isn't it? It is. Um, and it's essential, I think, for any sort of queer horror fan to go back. I mean, like, talking to yeah. Stephen, like, you, your experience of it before you saw the film was you've seen drag queens do it do it and you've heard references to it it's in the background of House of Wax okay House of Wax the Paris Hilton the Paris Hilton one which I love by the way yeah (laughs) the trashiness I'm sure it is I'm sure it's the scene in the cinema I've written a letter to that he gets played I remember watching it when I was a kid and thinking what the hell is that fucking song and that film that that, looks awful was that written for this film or was that a song before no it was written for the film film. yeah Yeah. because it's so so creepy and depressing it's like oh my dad's it's, dead it's amazingly yeah. sentimental yeah. isn't it especially when she sings it again when she's older yeah when he's he's sitting there playing it and then she hears the, she hears the first few notes and then walks in and starts singing and that yeah. scene's amazing it's so gothic mm. it's like Sunset Boulevard gothic isn't yeah because you get you kind of get the impression that he feels a bit sorry for her as well and considering how pathetic that character is the, yeah. the fact that he feels sorry mm. for her as well you're thinking to yourself it must be must be pretty bad if he was all yeah. for it. Yeah. But I think uh, there's so many great performances throughout the whole film. It's yeah. just the story's great and the acting, the acting is just superb. You don't get you don't really get actors like that anymore, do you? No. They go for the full throttle and the totally unguarded as well. Mm. Like women unguarded. I think that that comes from having nothing to lose. I think mm. in a way, every, in a way, nothing to lose, but everything to lose at the same time because yeah. they always did have everything mm. to lose, didn't they? Because there was a Desperate for adoration, mm. but it's the point in their career where they thought, "Fuck it, I'm just going to give this everything I've got." And having each other to fight against yeah. must have been a massive drive to do the best job that they could possibly do. Nowadays, we get the Expendables. <laughs> the Expendables. <laughs> yeah, that that's Hollywood's version of this yeah. now, isn't it? The Expendables. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, some washed up act, action stars. Yeah, they were scary <laughs> They were grotesque and they were they were they were made to look worse than they actually looked, but they were also brave enough to look that way. Yeah. And I think now it's it's become a more and more rare mm. when you've got actresses like Nicole Kidman who are now like guests in their own face and yeah. doing me a cast mm. face. Doesn't even look like yeah. anymore. No, people they just can't do it anymore, and it's so sad. All right, Blanche Hudson. 
Drunken wheelchair ride. <laughs> he puts the he puts the hood on and then wheels up. It's, it's it's funny, but then she just becomes hysterical when mm. she sees him, doesn't she? And that's actually that's really really upsetting. Yeah, I think the line as well. He says to her when when she's explaining what she wants to do, and she's like, "Oh, I want to go to clubs. I'm going to revive me me old songs and stuff." Mm. And he just says like. I don't see how you could possibly fail, and it's just so patronising. It's yeah. like it's it's sad. It is a really, it is really sad that scene. Yeah. He just wants his hundred dollars a week. Yeah, and he doesn't give a shit. But he, he is just really, he is a really good actor though. Yeah, because you see him feel sorry for it as well. Yeah, even yeah. though he's fleecing her. Yeah. yeah, I hope he at least got nomination because he's, he's such a good actor. Now I think sure. he got nom he got um, nominated for a Golden Globe for best supporting actor. Can we talk after this? Can we talk about? Can we move on to um, on another podcast? Can we do Hush Us with Charlotte as well? Because I love that film. We should do, yeah, because it's like because it. it's um, it's almost like Southern Gothic, yeah, that, isn't it? So you know, deep South Gothic and Straight Jacket has got to be seen to be believed because it's so camp and slightly terrible but fabulous. And Joan Crawford is brilliant. In it as well. It's was written by Robert, Robert Bloch, Bloch, who wrote Psycho. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like. A, it is an interesting it's an interesting film yeah definitely just as a little PS to this just as a little um, epilogue um, I'm really excited I'm, I'm, I am yeah I'm really excited I'm not the biggest Ryan Murphy fan but I'm excited to see the Betty and Joan series yeah mm-hmm. which details a lot of um, the making of this film apparently and that is I've just found out it's premiering on March the 5th it's called Feud, isn't it? Feud. It's got is it Susan Sarandon and Jessica Lang. And Jessica oh, Lang. Cool. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've got a chance of mm. you have got a chance there of, of two great actresses with great acting chops. Yeah. Maybe not as great as Joan and Bessie, but probably not. Probably as as good as we'll get these days. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm definitely into watching it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we'll probably be revealing revealing that on future sure. podcast. So that draws our podcast to an end. I'm off to write a letter to Daddy to ask him to <laughs> return that used drug strap I lent him. And these boys are going to uncover themselves and see what I've given them for dinding. <laughs> <laughs> so night night children. Sleep tight. But you are <laughs> <laughs>